Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. I remember the first time I got to see the Oklahoma Sooners play football. Very first time, which was my only time ever to see the Oklahoma Sooners play football. And y'all, it was awesome. I know no one cares about OU. OU means Oklahoma University, not Oakland. Stop it. So, like, the University of Oklahoma, the Sooners, the way it works, you got more than 80,000 people in the stands, and, like, one side goes, Boomer! And the other side goes, Sooner! And one day I'll tell you what that means, because it actually means something. Boomer, Sooner! They go back and forth in the band. The band gets really excited, and they'll go, Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun! And then everybody goes, Oh, you! You know, and it's, anyway, it's really cool. And I thought... That was the best sporting event ever because the Sooners won like 70 to 7. It's during the regular season, right? So it was, it was good. You know, they won big. I went home thinking it doesn't get better than that, but it did get better than that. I've actually experienced something that was even better. Now, I've seen some Big Ten games. They were fine. Like, they were fine. But there was one game. I got to tell you what. There was one particular game. I went to see Notre Dame play Navy. Now, they have a history, maybe you don't know, that goes way, way back. Because during World War II, Notre Dame almost had to shut the doors to their university. Everyone was going off to fight in the war. And so they thought, we can't afford to keep this school open. But that's when the Navy said, like the actual Navy, said, hey, we want to place our officer candidate school. We're going to place our training school at Notre Dame. And so we'll pay you to use the campus. Kept the doors open. And so the university said, from this day until COVID hits, we'll play you every single year. Like, we're always going to make sure Navy is going to be on our schedule, and it will be a highlighted game. And I didn't know any of this going in. So we show up to the game, and it's what you would think it would be, right? You know, everyone's wearing all their green stuff, and the student section is being all student-y, and they're doing their stuff, and fans are cheering. But that wasn't the cool part. The cool part was after, of course, Notre Dame won, not like you would think they should have. Like, you'd think they outweigh everyone by 100 pounds per position. You'd think, like, it, but the Navy's pretty tough. So anyway, Notre Dame won, and then the players run over to the sidelines. And normally, I leave by that point, right? Because, like, when OU won 70-7, to like, half the, st- I didn't leave, but half the stadium left to go get them some lunch, right? They're like, we won, who cares, we're out. This Notre Dame game, no one left. More than 80,000 people, and everyone is still there. The players run over, they link arms, and they do that thing that they do sometimes. They sing that little song, and the students knew the song, and a lot of people in the stands knew the song. I didn't know the song, but they sang this song. But here's where it's awesome. All of a sudden, the whole stadium, more than 80,000 people, completely quiet. No one moved. No one left. Everyone just stood And that's when all the Notre Dame players sprinted over to the Navy side. The Navy guys were already standing at attention, hands over their hearts, as they started to sing their alma mater, and the Notre Dame guys joined them in singing the song. And then, once the song was done, so I mean, you're talking 80,000 people. If I would have leaned over to Amy and said, this is really weird, they all would have heard me, right? So I didn't say that. I just stood trying to figure out, like, what is going on? But no one moved. The song ended, and it was just the voices of the guys singing. Again, no one moved, and then the applause started, and it continued, and it continued. And guys, it was awesome, just the respect and the honor in that moment. I think what hit me 
was the sweetness of unity in that moment. And yet, as great as that sporting event was, it does not hold a candle to what we experience when we come together and we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we experience what we just watched this morning. It does not even compare. That is a sporting event, and this is a song that will join in for eternity, right? This is awesome. So we just finished a sermon series called Assembly Required, where we talked about the importance of the church family coming together. We were looking at that through the book of Psalms. We're going to continue with a brand new sermon series today called Built for More, where we're going to stay in the book of Psalms. But Built for More is where we're going to continue this thinking, because as a church family, there's two environments. There's two environments that we gather as a church family at Woodside. There's the Sunday morning gathering right here, right now, and there's life groups. So we're going to spend some weeks talking through life groups and what that means. Take your Bibles, open up to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, as you're turning there, let me just set the stage for you real quick. Psalm 133, this is part of the Songs of Ascent, or the Psalms of Ascent, or the Pilgrim Songs. That would be Psalms 120 through 134, if you want to jot that note down. Here's what would happen three times a year. Three times a year, all the Hebrew people would gather their families together and they would make a walk to Jerusalem. Didn't matter how far you lived, you were supposed to walk, no matter where in Israel, you walk to Jerusalem. This would be Pentecost, this would be Passover and booths. During those three times a year, you would go and say, I'm going to recommit my, my covenant with the Lord, right? I'm going to trust him for the, my provision. This is where I'm going to go and recognize that he set us free from slavery in Egypt. We're going to recognize that and celebrate it. Now, let me show you why it's called the Songs of Ascent. Look at this picture. This is Jerusalem. So a lot of times whenever you see Jerusalem, the camera is like all zoomed up, isn't it? And so it just looks so congested because it's all built up now. But when you back that camera away a little bit, it is so easy to see that Jerusalem is on top of this really, really big hill. And the way it would work, just picture the scene in your mind. You've been walking for maybe days with your family, making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden you get to the bottom of this hill and dad starts to sing. And there's songs that you'd be like our Christmas songs. You know, we sing them every year, so you know the Christmas songs, and you can sing them as a family. Well, three times a year they would sing these songs. So the father would start to sing, and then the rest of the family would start to sing. And all of a sudden you see this family coming from over here. You don't know where they're coming from, but all of a sudden their song joins your song. And over here this family comes, and it started as a few voices, and now we have tens of voices and then hundreds of voices until as you get closer and closer to Jerusalem, you have thousands of voices joining together to worship the Lord and his goodness and his greatness in the temple. Do you hear the sweetness of that kind of unity? That's what's going on with the Psalms of Ascent. These songs are this march of the people up to Jerusalem. That brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that we celebrate the gift of spiritual unity. Again, these psalms marching toward, uh, toward Jerusalem, these songs that celebrate the gift of spiritual unity. So first thing we're going to see is we're going to look at three ways. It's very short, just very, very short psalm, but you're going to see three ways that we celebrate that gift of spiritual unity. First is you have to come into the family. You have to come into the family. Look at verse 1. Behold, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers 
dwell in unity. So David starts out by saying, behold, hey, check it out. You need to look. You need to pay attention. You need to behold. And he's like, there's this blessing that comes with spiritual family. We know it's spiritual family because look at the word. He uses the word brothers. Well, to be a brother, you got to be family, right? You have to be family. And so he says, this is a blessing. This is a blessing that is only intended for the family. And then he says, it is both good and pleasant, which is so intriguing. If you're going fast, you miss it. But good means it's like good for you. Pleasant means I want to do it. So like kale, kale's good for you, right? Mm, yeah, y'all already know where I'm going with that. Pizza, pizza's what we want to do, right? That's what we want to eat. That's what's pleasing. And what this is saying is, no, 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 no. This is being part of the spiritual family. It is both good and pleasing. It is both what God requires and it's what you desire. Which you do, don't you? You want to know other people and you want to be known. You want to love other people and you want to be loved. This is what we crave and it's what God requires in the first place. But it's not just that. That's not enough. Notice it comes, one, from being a family. And then two is when you choose to dwell there. Do you see that word? When you choose to dwell there. You probably, I know I've talked to people. You probably talk to the people too who say things like, well, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. You know, you don't need to go to church if you're going to be a Christian. I mean, that's cool. It's not in the Bible, though. Like, it's not in there. Guys, I've looked. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. The Lord never calls us to do this faith journey alone. We are always called to do this together. We are called to lean in and press in and do this within community, right? And so it's this place of, of dwelling. I'm going to go back for a second. Good and pleasant. Good and pleasant. Sometimes what we do is we look outside of our spiritual family for good and pleasant, don't we? Things that are good for us and things that make us happy. And so we look all kinds of places. Maybe your career, maybe family, maybe whatever, maybe sports. Like if I'm thinking OU football, back to football for a second. If I'm thinking OU football, during the season, it's real good to be an OU fan. Like, it's good because they beat up on everybody. Like, they stomp the Longhorns. Everybody's going to learn to do this. This means, like, down with the Longhorns, right? And so, I know y'all don't even care. But it's like a thing down south, y'all. Like, that's a big deal. And so, so, it's really good during the season to be an OU fan. But the season doesn't last forever. And then the bowl games get here. or the play, And OU gets throttled every time. They play someone with a defense, and all of a sudden, like, what happened? And then I'm grumpy all summer long. Like, it's, I'm, I'm a horrible fan. And so I've just, I've learned this. I got I to, like, fess up on myself. So I had to learn that these are, like, 18 to 21, 22-year-old guys who are just trying to pass calculus and play a sport at the same time. Like, they're not professionals. I don't know why I had never registered that, but they're really not professionals. They're just college students trying their best to do this, right? They're trying their best, and, and I would get so mad. I'd scream at the TV. Like, I would get anxious inside, so you can ask Amy. Like, I really, I don't even watch anymore. I can't. I can't watch it. I just don't even turn on the TV, which th this, anyway, we're not going to talk about this season, but we chase after things that we think are going to be good in this world, but can I just tell you, it's never going to stay good. The things of this world don't stay good. The things of God stay good and stay pleasing. The things of God always stay good and stay pleasing. Everything else that we tend to chase, it's not. It's going to be shifting sands, right? It's going to fade away. So here at Woodside, we do this. We do spiritual family through our Sunday mornings and through our life groups. 
One other encouragement before I move on. Uh, there's also a more formal step that we call Next Step Pathways. Next, now, Next Step Pathways are membership process. And I don't know what you think about membership process, so let me just let me clean something up real fast. This, this is a chance where you get to know us more, what we believe as a church and how we function in the ministries, and where we get to know you. That's important. Because you have been given talents. There's things that you're good at. You can't even explain how you're good at it. You're just good at it. You have passions. There are things that fire you up, that fire up the heart of God. You have burdens. There are things that break your heart, that break the heart of God. You have gifts, spiritual gifts from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life to build up this church. Now, as your pastor, I want to tell you my goal. My goal is to look out and to see the majority of people. We need a place where people who are worn out can come in and rest. But I want to look out and see the majority of my family. We do this together. We do this together. You ought to be using your gifts and your talents and your passions and your burdens to continue to build up God's church. That's why you have them, right? And so that's part of Next Step Pathways. And that's, that's important to say because sometimes in churches, what, what you hear is you hear, well, we have a, an opening in the toddler room, you know, so if you want to change your diapers and you're feeling called to change diapers, we have a spot for you. And you just look down. I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm not going to... And then we say, hey, we have a position open with our student ministry. So if you want to hang out with middle school students and, you know, and they're, they're going to middle school students, some of you are like, I'm not going to look up at that either. You know, my head is going to stay down. And then we're like, and we need people to help hold open the doors. And we need people for this. We need people for that. And all these opportunities to serve. And some of you, you just get real anxious. I just want you to know I'm not looking for you to be a placeholder. I'm looking for you to be so passionate about what the Lord has called you to do that you can't help but jump in and do it. That's what we're after, right? That's what Next Step Pathway really is about. So the second way we celebrate the gift of spiritual unity is harmony. It's through harmony. Look at verse 1 again. Let's look back at verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. See, God hasn't just given us the gift of our church family He's also given the gift of unity. And David, in this moment, he recognizes that. So he's looking around, and this tribe has come from over here, and this tribe has come from there. These people from all over the place fulfilling what God spoke back in Exodus chapter 6, where he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so that's where they started. They started by God himself giving unity. Here's what David realized. They're unified right now, and it is sweet, and it is beautiful, and it is good as we're marching up this hill. And yet, the people eventually will rebel, won't they? Follow Israel's history and watch. They're unified, and they're together as a family, and then there's rebellion, and they go further away from the Lord. Oh, now we're going to reunify, and we're together, and we're going to submit to the Lord's ways, and now we're going to be dispersed all over the place, right? This is a constant pattern. David recognizes it, and he says, this is a gift that comes from God. Now, what we know is God gave this gift, but we have to make a commitment, don't we? Unity doesn't just happen. There is a commitment to unity. There is effort in unity. There is work in unity. And we view this through the lens of the Old Testament pointing to the new covenant that we have in Christ through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. 
I love how Paul says in Ephesians 2, he tells us of the work of Jesus bringing unity. Jesus brings our unity. It says, for he himself, for Jesus himself is our peace. I just want to stop there because that's powerful, church. Jesus himself, he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see that? So Paul is saying, through Christ on the cross, we can have a peace with God. We can have a right standing with God. But don't miss this. Through Jesus on the cross, we also can have a peace with each other. But then Paul encourages just a few chapters later to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We have to maintain it. We have to work at it. Because sometimes, sometimes when you're family, tensions can arise, right? You guys taking a road trip at all this summer? Yeah, so some of you have, right? Some of you have. Here's the thing. These are the people, your family, these are the people you like most in the whole world. And yet you get 100 miles down the road and all of a sudden you're arguing over what radio station should be on and whether you should play that license plate game, the ABC game, you know, and you're, you're debating, should we stop? Well, we just stopped an hour ago. Why didn't you go then, you know? And you, you just start munching at each other, right? That's what we do. But when you come together with church family, we act like, well, this place should never have conflict. This place should be easy going as possible. So when David's looking around, He's seeing all these tribes come together. I want you to know that when I look at you, that's exactly what I see. Some of you drove about five minutes to get to church this morning. You came from the village, didn't you? Some of you, you drove up to 50 minutes to get here this morning. Most of you, it was something in between. We come from all these different areas, from Rochester, from Shelby, from Utica, from Bruce, from Almont, from Armada, from Lake Orion, from Oxford. Like we're literally from all over the place and we all come together, right? We all come together seeking to live out this unity. It, it reminds me of marriage. And I'm probably thinking about this because it seems to be like the marriage month. You had uh, Joe Michaela got married. I got some friends, Andrew McKenzie, getting ready to get married. Uh, we have Lauren and Nate getting ready to get married. Right? Just two weeks, right? Woo, two weeks. All right. All right. Two, and so here's what happens. You have the bride and the groom standing there, and they make a commitment in front of, in front of family, in front of friends, in front of the Lord to love, to honor, to cherish I'm going to leave my father, my mother, and cling to, cleave to, become one with my spouse. My friends, that's a commitment of unity. That's what it is. And yet, if we're not careful, fast forward five years down the road. If you don't stay committed, daily committed, to working for that unity, all of a sudden there's a drift, isn't there? Have you ever noticed we never drift closer together? That's not the way it works. When there's drift, it always seems to be we drift further apart, right? Our hearts become further apart. It takes continual effort and work for that oneness. There's a selflessness that takes place there. And yet when that's lived out, it is beautiful. 
absolutely beautiful. That's what we do in this place. That's what you do in that life group. In that life group, you are an ambassador of peace. You are there to continue to work to maintain the peace because that is where it's beautiful. But friends, that's where you've got to say, I'm not going to go into these environments, whether it be here or life group, and I'm not going to be easily offended. Can I say that again? You're not going to be easily offended. It means you're going to be quick to forgive. It means you're going to keep short accounts. You know, sometimes someone will say something and it's not lining up with scripture, right? It doesn't line up with the Bible. You keep short accounts instead of just going home and crossing your arms saying, well, that was wrong, but I'm going to end you preaching to yourself. Call them up. Say, I'd love to have coffee with you and talk through this. Keep short accounts, right? Keep those relationships healthy. Which then takes us, I've been waiting for this one, takes us to our third point, and that is come be refreshed. Look at verse 2 and 3. You're going to love this. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There it is, verse 2 and 3. David gives two word pictures to describe this blessing of unity. And he says it's like the anointing process. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Okay, this anointing oil that he's talking about, it's a, it's a sacred oil. It's an expensive oil. It's an oil that was only used in, in rare instances. You would use it to consecrate the tent of the meeting. You would use it to uh, just put some drops onto the head of the high priest or onto another priest. Do you hear that? Like it's an, it's an expensive oil. And when people would smell this oil, they would recognize that these are items, the tent of meeting, the high priest, the priest, these are items that are set apart. The church word for that is holy. These are things that are holy. So when they would smell this fragrance, these are things that are holy. And David says, hey, do you remember Moses is with Aaron out in the wilderness? And he took this oil. He didn't just put some drops onto the head of Aaron. He didn't just put a little stream, but he kept pouring until the hair of Aaron was completely saturated. And then the oil started to run down, and it wasn't just his hair. It started to run into his beard until his beard was completely saturated. And in the oil, there was so much there. It started to drip down onto the collar of his robe. Do you see that? This picture would have been so rich. It's almost like you can close your eyes and just smell as the fragrance just completely fills the space. That's the picture of what's going on here. David says... That's what unity within the church family is like. It's like that kind of fragrance. Now, real quick, that fragrance meant something to the people. Because that priest, that priest was the one who would go in front of the Lord to offer the sacrifice that would cover the sins of the people for the entire year. So when they would smell this smell, this smell meant a right standing with God. This smell meant freedom. That's what this smell meant. And as Christians... We're reminded of Jesus on the cross, aren't we? Because when the blood of Jesus was shed for us, it covered the stench of our sin. It was a fragrant offering to the Lord that completely covered and renewed and purchased us. We are reminded that we have this unity of reconciliation through Christ Jesus. The second word picture 
I don't want you to miss this one. The second word picture is the dew of Mount Hermon. The dew of Mount Hermon. Look at this picture. You could see this mountain. This is the highest mountain peak in Syria. You could see this mountain from about 120 miles away. It receives 60 inches of precipitation per year. Most of the year, most of the year, it's covered in snow just like this. However, during those summer months, April through October, it starts to thaw. And the thaw continues until the snow melts. But there's all this precipitation. And so it becomes this lush, green, beautiful picture. That snow that melts, by the way, is one of the main water sources down into the Jordan. How cool is that? Like that becomes the Jordan River eventually. Isn't that awesome? And so David says it's like the dew. Remember the people there on this march up. Two of the three, two of the three festivals happen during the summer months. Jerusalem is arid. It's dry. It's hot. It's that place where all of a sudden your mouth becomes like cotton balls because you're so parched, right? And the families, they are walking up this hill, this steep hill, this great incline on the way to the temple. And they're singing this song. They're singing this song that says, yeah, our mouths are parched. We are so thirsty. But the unity that we have together, looking at all the families around them, the unity that we have together is like the dew on Mount Hermon. Isn't that awesome? Like, that's what he's saying. I remember uh, we lived in Tucson for a few years. If you've never seen Tucson, here's Tucson. I um, It's not what I expected. I thought Tucson was going to be like sand dunes, like, like Sleeping Bear. I thought that's what it would be everywhere. Uh, but it's not. Tucson is actually surrounded by mountains, and hiking is a big, big deal. And so when we first got to Tucson, some friends sat down with us, had dinner, and they said, here's some things you need to know about living in the desert and living in Tucson. You're going to go hiking. That is what we do here. We go hiking a lot all over the place. We go hiking. And when you go hiking, let's go over all the things that can kill you. Let's talk about that first. And so they went through the checklist, so I knew not to do dumb things and die. And then they said, but this is most important. You being silly is the thing that can get you into trouble the quickest. Because they said there's always these people who come from up north. No, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Or those people come from places like Oklahoma, and they come here, and they just don't know better. And so it's 95 degrees outside, and you got your water on your belt loop or whatever, and you think, I'm good. 95 degrees, you go, and you realize, like, I'm not all that hot. Because your sweat, you're not, like, drenched in sweat. Your sweat literally evaporates before it can turn into sweat. If you, anyone ever been there? Raise your hand. Like you, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like, it, it is so dry. It is so dry. You're doing all this stuff. It's 95 outside, but you're not all that hot. Like, you're really not. And every year, they have to send helicopters into the desert to rescue and save people who are dumb and didn't drink that water that was right there on their belt. Now they're dehydrated, and they're in rough shape, and the helicopters have to come save their life. And so inevitably, we would go hiking, and 30... 45 minutes into it, I'd stop and take my first break. And I'd take the water off, the, the little bottle cap off my water bottle, and I'd take that drink. And if you've ever had this drink, you know what I'm talking about. The one where it feels like the water's just coating your insides, and the water tastes so sweet and so cool and so refreshing. That's what unity in the church is like. And the thing is, friends, there's a lot of people around you right now, they're, they're parched. They're so thirsty. 
They are looking to fulfill and quench their thirst by looking at everything the world can offer. But listen what Jesus said in John 7. This was the Feast of Booths, by the way. He's in Jerusalem. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. That's what we do in here. You see, if you weren't here today, you would have missed Adam's baptism. You would have missed the Nayert's baptism. You would have missed the opportunity to hear this flowing river coming out of them. You would have missed that moment, right? That's why we come together. That's what you do in your life group. And so let me now give you the challenge for the week. Challenge for the week is I want you to pray. And I don't want you to pray about whether you should join a life group. The answer is yes, you should join a life group. So that just fixes that. You don't even need to pray. Yes, you need to join a life group. And so that will help. So in two weeks, we begin life group sign up. Some of your life groups, you kind of hit the pause button for a month or two during the summer months. Uh, We relaunch September 20th. So here's what I want our whole church family to pray. You ready? Here's what I want you to pray. Lord, will you use me as an ambassador of your peace? Will you use me as an ambassador of your unity within my life group and within my church family? God, that's how I want to be used. I want to be that rivers of living water. I want to be used to bring this picture of Mount Hermon. That's what I want to do. This picture of the oil dripping down onto the collar, that fragrance. I want my life to be like that fragrance. So Lord, will you prepare my heart now for it? I want to keep those short accounts. I don't want to be easily offended. Lord, I want to love others and I want to be loved. I want to know others. I want to be known. It's through Christ. Don't ever miss this. It is through Christ that we can know the Lord and really know the unity that comes with brothers and sisters. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the grace that you continue to pour out on us. Lord, I'm so humbled today. It, um, it's been such an incredible morning. It's been a morning where your name has been lifted high and glorified. I do want to pray for the six individuals who are baptized today that you continue to bring those discipling relationships into their lives. Lord, that they're relationships that help them to love you and to love others more. Lord, let us continue to press in to one another, not be content going to church or checking a box. Lord, that we hunger and crave those community relationships with one another. Continue to sharpen us in our reflection of who you are and the calling you put on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning and worship together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.